Okay, so we're doing now Tuesday of the Yetze. And just a brief review of the Parsha until this point. So Yaakov, Jacob, is instructed by his father at the urgings of his mother. His mother, Rivka, Rebecca, knows that Esau wants to kill him. And so Rivka wants him to leave. And she tells her husband, Isaac, Yitzhak, he should go away from here. He should, we don't want him to marry one of these local girls. He should go to marry in the family in my brother Lovin's house. Okay? Yaakov is sent. He leaves. On the way, he takes a short detour. He learns for 14 years, day and night, studying Tyra with Shame and Aver in their study hall. And then he walks. He continues on his journey to Haran, just north of Israel. When he's almost there, he says, oh, I didn't pray by the holy place of my forefathers. He goes back, and God has a land jump to him, and he spends that night by the Mount Moriah, the place of the temple, where he has his famous vision of the ladder and the angels and God's promises to him, and him the next day making his promises to God. And then he comes to Haran, just north of Israel, and there he encounters Rachel, Rachel, the younger daughter of Lavan, his uncle. And he comes, and Lavan, of course, assumes he must be fabulously wealthy because he knows the house he comes from, but actually Jacob had no money at all because everything had been robbed from him by his nephew, Eliphaz. And he was literally had nothing. And he said, I have nothing. And Lavan said, oh, I should be nice to you. But then, of course, he, he worked for his keep. And he shepherded for a month, and he was amazing and brought much blessings. So Lovin's like, I really want to keep this person. Uh, how can I actually hire you that you'll stay? And now we're going to continue. Of course, Jacob knew that the reason he came here was to marry Lovin's daughter and to build the Jewish people. Okay, so we're up to chapter 29, verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Yeah, we have the older daughter, Leah, and the younger daughter, Rachel, or Rachel. And Jacob knew that Rachel was the woman with whom he would build the Jewish people. So I'll work for you for seven years. Rashi questions this. How can this be when his mother said to him, be there a few days? I mean, how does he offer seven years of his life? Seems like a very high price. Seriously. The girl gets a dowry here. He's doing seven years of work to marry her. But these are the few days that Rivka meant because it says soon, and they were in his life like a few days. Because, as we'll explain, he knew this marriage was to build the Jewish people. And even though, of course, he was complete in his saintliness and purity, but he still, you know, wanted to work more and more and more. So it was just, those seven years zip by in his self-work. So truly these were the few days that his mother meant. Now, why did Jacob say to Lavan, Rachel, your younger daughter? Which is a Rachel. I mean, we all know who he's talking about. But he knew he was dealing with someone like Lavan. So he wanted to try to corner him that he'd actually have to, after seven years, start give him Rachel. He said, Rachel, okay, we know who she is, but your daughter, otherwise he'll find someone in the marketplace and say her name is Rachel or her name is Rachel or call her Rachel. And, or you can, okay, so it's got to be your daughter. Okay, but then Leah's also your daughter, so you might change Leah's name to Rachel. So you're a younger daughter. So we all know exactly what I'm talking about. But in the end, Lovin just tricked him anyway. 
Love and said, it's better that I give her to you than I give her to another man. Remain with me. Love and got a great deal here. So Jacob worked for seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him a few days because of his love for her. Usually we think love would make the times drag on, but again, because he was so focused on his work, in like a few days. Now, now, fast forward, seven years are up. Jacob said to Lovin, deliver my wife for my term is fulfilled, and I will come to her. So my days have been filled, meaning those days that my mother said, those few days you should stay there are over. I put my seven years in. And also, my days are filled, meaning my personal age. At this point, Jacob was 84 years old. Now, obviously, his physical body at 84 is not a woman of vision, 84-year-old, but he's already 84. He says, I, I, have to, I have to produce 12 children. I have to get married now, which is why he said it seemed uh, inappropriate or not refined expression, I will come to her. But from his place of absolute purity, there was nothing wrong in that. Jacob was, his soul was like the soul of Adam, the first man. So when there's no evil involved, it's just purity. It's just, this is, we're getting married. We're building the 12 tribes. That's the point. So Levin gathered all the people of the place and made a feast. But you might say, wow, cheap Levin is making a feast. That's surprising. But again, he did everything he did with lots of conniving and deceit, and he actually tricked the townspeople that they supplied the feast. But he wanted the feast as distraction, the people as distraction. Obviously, he wouldn't be tricking if he got all these witnesses. He wanted, of course, the people there so he could actually afterwards blame the people and say it was the people of the town that, you know, decided it wasn't right. He makes the feast. And it was in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he came to her. Mama gave her Zilpah, his maidservant, to Leah, his daughter, the maidservant. And it was in the morning, and behold, it was Leah. So he, Yaakov, said to Lovan, What is this has he done for me? Was it not for Rachel that I worked for you? Or have you deceived me? So what does it mean in the morning it was Leah, by night it wasn't Leah? What happened was, when Lovan, of course the whole time was not planning on doing the honest thing, maybe because he had this ultimate plot of, as he did, conniving another seven years of work out of love, out of Jacob, so this was really very smart, shrewd uh, management of his business affairs, or maybe just by nature, you want her, of course, I'm not going to give her to you, or maybe on a level of evil, not wanting him to have such godliness. But he had no intention of giving Rachel. So he said, well, let me give the older daughter, let me give Leah anyway. She's already, so to speak, the old maid, so to speak, at this point. I need to get her married off, and yeah, we'll give her instead. Now, Rachel sees that Leah is now being prepared as a bride and not her. This was, I believe, an amazingly pivotal moment here because Jacob knew he was dealing with Lovin. And he understood that it's more probable that Lovin's going to try to trick him than that Lovin will just naturally do the only obvious thing and give him Rachel. I mean, it was more like 99% positive that Lovin was going to try some trick. So he told Rachel in advance signs. So when, if she would give the correct signs, he knows the correct girl. And if not, I mean, he wouldn't be tricked because the signs would not be produced. And Rachel sees her sister being brought as a bride, and Rachel thinks, if I keep quiet now, nobody's coercing for the signs, no one knows about them. But if I keep quiet now, she's going to be humiliated because she's not going to know the signs. And Jay's going to be like, this isn't the right girl. And she's going to be publicly disgraced and shamed, and how could I do this? How could I let her go through such pain and agony? I'm going to give her the signs. I think it's an amazing, amazing point of complete, self-nullification here. She's giving up her husband right now. And he might even be mad at her and thinking she's part of the plot. And 
she had no clue that he would work another seven years for her, that Lovin would offer it. She had no clue anything what would be. She just knew she didn't want to be part of her sister being humiliated. Lovin said, that's just not done in our place, to give the younger before the older one. But now he smoothly goes on to his next stage of his plot. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you this one too for the work that you will work for me further another seven years. He's like, oh, no big deal. First of all, notice, he said, we, we, it's all plural. Like suddenly it's not his issue. It's the whole town's issue. We couldn't do this. How could we give the younger one before the older one? And there was a great disparity in their age, according to one commentator, about seven years difference. So she's definitely older. She's definitely younger. How could, how could we do this? The week of this one, in the Hebrew, there's a shva under the shin. Week in Hebrew is shavua, with a kamath under the shin. But here it's shivua, with a shva. Shivua makes it possessive, the week of. So the week of this, this in the feminine, meaning the week of this one, the week of this woman, the week of Leah. From here we learn two things, actually. One that a wedding actually sort of lasts a week, that there's seven days of feasting by a wedding, as we see here. She has a whole week. We also learn, and from this actually continues after the giving of the Torah, this is still the source for it. The first idea is, of course, after the giving of the Torah, we receive the laws, and from there we know what we see, how they behave here. But literally, this is a source for this concept, that we don't mix festive, joyous events Meaning we could think, well, if I'm in such joy and then another joyous event happens, it will heighten the joy. Or we could think, if I'm in such joy and another joy happens, it takes away, it distracts, it detracts from mine. And that is a perspective that Torah has here by saying, no, if it's your week, you just got married, let's wait for somebody else. Let them wait for a week so your joy is not diminished by suddenly the limelight being on someone else. We learn this from these words. One, that she has this week of festivities. And two, that during her week of festivities, her siblings should not get married, which, again, we follow until today. As I said, it says, and we will give you, in the plural, again, as if implying everyone is involved in this decision. Also, this one, we're going to give it to you immediately, meaning some people get confused by this. Love everybody, just as Jacob knew who he was dealing with, Love knew who he was dealing with. So the other person would think, oh my gosh, I can't trust this Jacob. I'm going to marry him off to Rachel and then he'll, the moose, he'll run away. He says, it's not Jacob. I've seen him for seven years. I know he's, strangely enough, completely honest. And if I give him Rachel, he'll work for me faithfully for another seven years, which is exactly what happened. So Jacob did so, and he completed the week for her, meaning for Leah, and he, Lavan, gave him, Jacob, Rachel, his daughter, to him as a wife, and Leah gave Bilhah to his maidservant to Rachel, his daughter, to be as a maidservant. Jacob also came to Rachel and loved Rachel even more than Leah, and he worked for him further another seven years. If you see how that is written in the Hebrew, another other seven years, which is obviously a double expression, to imply that the two sets of seven this year seven years, and the first seven years were exactly the same. Meaning the first was, of course, dealt with complete honesty and faithfulness and trust. Well, the second, he was duped and fooled and tricked, and he worked the exact same way. 
God saw that Leah was unloved, so he opened up her womb, but Rachel remained barren. So we see this idea of opening up her womb because really, Leah also was supposed to be barren. All of our matriarchs started off barren. God loved their prayers and they prayed and then God opened up their womb. But here Leah, who also was supposed to be barren, immediately after she got married, her womb was opened up by God to restore the relationship. In other words, in Jacob's eyes, Leah was part of the trick, was part of the deceit. Even though you could think he would have been also upset at Rachel, which he wasn't at all, he saw her virtue in giving the signs over. But Leah was part of the trick. So God immediately gave her children, and the children came quite quickly because every tribe was born, we're told, after seven-month pregnancy to, to restore the relationship because every child brings more love. They conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuven. As she said, because God has seen my humiliation, for now my husband will love me. So Reuven is the root word Reu to see that God has seen my pain here, and now my husband's going to love me because he has his child. Rashi also explains the reason for the name because there's really two words within Reuven, Reu, to see, and also Ben, son. So Rashi says that Reuven means see the difference between my son, Reuven, see the son, see the difference between my son and the son of my father-in-law, meaning Esau is the son of her father-in-law. Because Esau, the son of my father-in-law, sold his firstborn rights to Jacob. He didn't want them. Well, my son, Reuven, is the firstborn. But he wouldn't give away his firstborn right to Joseph. But even so, when Joseph sort of supplanted him in his father's eyes as the firstborn, in a sense, he didn't have conflict with him over this, and he even tried to save him from the pit. Meaning, of course, this is a prophetic spirit here, because this is many years in the future, over 20 years later, when the brothers are looking at Joseph as trying to get rid of them, physically or spiritually or both, and they throw him in the pit as a, you know, clean hand way of killing him, Reuven wants to try to save him. In the end, he does not succeed, but he really sincerely wanted to. Leah is saying, look how special my son is, this newborn child, who valued the firstborn rights, and yet still did not have any enmity to Joseph, unlike some of the other brothers' feelings, and rather tried to save him. And she conceived again and bore a son. Now, this one was called Shimon. Shimon is the root word Shema, to hear. They said, because God has heard that I am unloved, he has given me this one also, and she called his name Shimon. So notice by the first one, it's to see. God saw it because it was so overt. It's like something you see. And, of course, after Uthin was born, there was a much closer relationship between Jacob and Leah. But the second son, it wasn't like overt seeing the problem, but it was at a level of hearing. It was more subtle threads of this distance and therefore God heard it and he gave me Shimon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, this time my husband will become attached to me for I've borne him three sons. Therefore he called his name Levi. So why did she feel that now hasn't attached to her? Because she was a prophetess as we saw before. And she knew that Jacob was going to have 12 tribes and she knew he was going to have four wives. So she understood that every wife was going to produce three tribes, and here she just did. So since she had done her share of the tribes, like now we're going to be so close and connected. Ladies have been connected. That's interesting because in front of the names of some of the tribes, but not all, it says, therefore, therefore he called him, or therefore she called him, the name. Rashi says whenever it says therefore, al it 
implies that this Shevet is going to be very numerous in population. But we have a question, because Levi, the first tribe that we see this in, was not numerous in population. So what happened? So Rashi explains because the Levites were responsible for the work with the ark. They were entrusted with caring for it. And many of them died because of it, because they were inadvertently treated not as it was supposed to be treated. So if they were not caring for the ark, they would have been much more numerous. Now it's interesting because unlike by Reuven and by Shimon, where it says she called, she called, here it says he called his name Levi. So why is it now he? The Rashi says the he refers to God. And there's a midrash that says that God sent the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel brought the baby before God, and God called his name Levi, and he escorted him, again, Levi is to escort, so he accompanied him, he escorted him with 24 gifts of the priesthood. And because he was escorted, accompanied with these gifts, he was called Levi. This is a very interesting concept because officially, originally, the firstborn from all the tribes were supposed to be the priests. And only after the firstborn lost it, and then the tribe of Levi showed their virtue by the sin of the golden calf, was it given to them this priesthood. But we see here, their forefather, when he's a baby, when he's newborn, already God is giving him the 24 gifts of the priest. She conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I'll give thanks to God. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped giving birth. Why is this time I'll give thanks? Because I took more than my share. So now I have to give thanks, meaning, again, a calculation, 12 sons, four wives, three. Well, now she had four. So she got more, so to speak, than she should have. So that's why she is getting more than her share. And it says that that Leah was actually the first person that thanked God like this. It was very special here that she recognized and said, God, thank you for giving me more than, than I should get. Now during all this time, when Leah has now produced seven months apart, four children, Rachel is still barren. She still has not, does not have any children. So, the verse continues in the next chapter, chapter 30. Rachel saw that she had not born children to Jacob. And Rachel became envious of her sister and said to Jacob, give me children, if not, I'm dead. Now, Rashi says on this, what was she envious of? She was envious of her good deeds. Because she said, she must be more righteous than me, because otherwise, why would she bear sons than I did? And so she was envious of the good that obviously she must have. And she said, give me children, meaning what she was saying to Jacob was, well, but your parents, your mother was barren, and your father prayed for her. So why aren't you praying here to pull down from God that I should have children? Because if not, I'm dead. Because someone who doesn't have children is considered dead. As our other people, of course, as a blind, someone with the leprosy, someone poor, evil person, there are various people that in a certain way are considered dead. So childless is like dead. Jacob's anger flared up at Rachel, and he said, Am I instead of God, who has withheld from you the fruits of your womb? Meaning, am I in God's place that I withheld from you? You're saying I should act like my father, but I'm not like my father's situation. Because my father didn't have any children, but I have children. So it's not that God withheld from me the children, that I can pray like my father did. God withheld it from you. She said, Here's my maid, Bilhah. Come to her that she may bear upon my knees, and I too was built up through her. 
So why did she suddenly offer Bilhah? Because she said, well, listen, you're saying that your father had children, so he did not have children, so he could pray, but you have children, so how could you pray to God like that? But we see with your grandfather Abraham, he had son. He had a son from Hagar. He had Ishmael. But he still prayed and pulled on God to have a child with Sarah. So you have children with Leah, but you can still turn to God to have a child with me. He said, well, my, my grandmother had a very great merit because my grandmother gave her maidservant to, to uh, my grandfather. So it was such a great merit. That's why she merited to have the child. Uh, you know, so she said, oh, that's the issue? Fine, I can do that too. So I also have a maid, Bilha, who was also her half-sister. And it says that Bilha and Zilpah were also daughters of Lavan, but not from the wife, from the concubine. So I'll give you Bilha. She's a very good person also. And she'll have children, and those children will be like my children. So maybe that can be built up also, like Sarah was built up, because, of course, just as Sarah, you're saying, since Sarah had the merit of giving her husband this other woman, if I now have this merit of giving my husband another woman, hopefully in that merit I will have children. And also, as it says, I'm going to take her children on my knees, meaning the children she has I'll raise. So they'll also, in a sense, be like mine. So from both ways, there'll be an advantage in you having Bilhah. So she gave him Bilhah, her maidservant, as a wife, and Jacob came to her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, he has also heard my voice, and has given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dunn. So we see actually very interesting. Unlike with Sarah, when, when she gave Hagar to Abraham, Hagar's son had nothing to do with Sarah. Sarah didn't view it that way. Hagar didn't view it that way. Ishmael didn't view it that way. It was a, a rival to her son, ultimately, Yitzhak, and even before. But here, Rachel is looking at it as, as she said. On one hand, by giving you Bilhah, I'm earning the merit of nullifying myself so much to give you another wife. And also, her children I'll also, in a sense, view as mine. But this is my maidservant who's, who's having these children. So, of course... The children of the maidservants are considered those children. They're not, like Dunn's not considered Rachel's child. It's considered Bilhah's child. But Rachel has this relationship with him as well. So in a sense, it was a bit of a comfort that now she has this surrogate child. As she said, God has judged me. He has heard my voice. He has given me a son. So in a sense, she did view this as giving her a son. In other words, God's judged me and acquitted me. She conceived again, and Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, bore a second son to Jacob. So here right away she gets pregnant again and has a second child. And Rachel said, I have twisted with turnings to God to be like my sister and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. So again, showing that in her eyes, the fact that Bilhah now had bat-to-bat two children wasn't like adding to her pain, but actually it was, it was a comfort to her. And these children, she felt, were part of God's comfort to her. And this term Naphtali, Rasha gives two explanations. One is like the idea of something very twisted and attached, that I've become attached, like, so to speak, equal to my sister to be worthy of sons, vicariously, through Bilhah, or 
meaning this idea of obstinance, twisted in like a way of obstinacy that I persisted and besieged with many, many beseechings to God to be equal to my sister. And I prevailed. He agreed with me. He, he gave me through Vilha this child. So the, another way, a third way of understanding the word Naftali, besides the two that we've already presented, is the idea of prayer. In my praying to God, or a, a prayer, falling to God in prayer. So I've prayed and prayed and prayed to God, and then my prayers were accepted to be like my sister. When Leah saw that she had stopped giving birth, she took Zilpah, her maidservant, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So now Leah sees what happens. I mean, of course, Leah has four children, but she's not producing any more. So she's like, oh, maybe I should do this too. So she gave her maidservant, Zilpah, who was the youngest of the four women. Zilpah's lay maidservant bore Jacob a son. So notice here, it doesn't speak of her pregnancy. It's just that suddenly she wore him a child, because since she was the youngest and a child, pregnancy wasn't noticeable in her. And that, now you could wonder why oh, Leah's much older than Rachel, and yet she's given the much younger maidservant, but this was part of the trick. In other words, when seeing Zilpah as a maidservant, it should more affirm that this woman under the veil must be Rachel. And Leah said, so Zilpah bore a son, and Leah said, a good sign has come, and called his name God. So again, we see here that Leah, as well as Rachel, is looking at these children as like, in a sense, an extension of her children, surrogate children, in a sense, and she's calling the name. So she called him God, as this idea of this good sign. Well, God means a good sign has come. And in the Midrash it says, what was a good sign? That he was born circumcised. Um, Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, bore a second son to Jacob. Leah said, in my good fortune, for women have deemed me fortunate, and she called him Usher. So we see at this point, Leah has four sons, Bilhah has two, Zilpah has two, and Rachel is still barren. And still, even though she had some comfort in Bilhah's children, suffering enormously. 